Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Movie Bollocks. Yes, this is where I will be giving you my opinion, and that is all it is, my opinion, on a whole load of movies that I've watched over Christmas and the lead up to Christmas, a few weeks before that, etc, etc. Hope you are going to enjoy this. Now, as I always say, this is just my opinion. Um, feel free to disagree. Feel free to shout at whatever device you're listening this on. Feel free to get in touch and tell me stuff that you've discovered that you're glad I put you onto, stuff that you've watched that you wished I'd never mentioned, and uh, but ultimately... I'm not recommending any of these. What I'm saying is what I thought of them. And if you sound like, you know, some of these I might not like, but from my description, you might think, actually, that sounds all right. Hey, there is no wrong. There is no right. There is only taste. And your taste and my taste are different. So, yeah, you knew that anyway. So here we go. Come on, let's get stuck in. Stuck in? What a great start that is. Let's get stuck in. Um, uh straight up we have locked in this is on netflix it appeared it went to number one across the world the director was very happy about this nor was he and um i'm really glad um however here is the here is the log line a kindly nurse tries to unlock the secrets of a coma patient's injury and discovers the bitter rivalry infidelity betrayal and murder behind them Right, the first issue I've got there is a kindly nurse. No, a fucking interfering bitch. Anna Friel plays the... I mean, like, example. One of the members of the family is just, like, you know, wandering around one day in town, and Anna Friel is in the park watching her. And this person sort of walks in the park, and she's like, all right. So, uh, so what are you doing? You know, where are you going? It's like, kindly? No! Well, look, ultimately, this film is bollocks, man. Absolute bollocks. It's a shame because it's a waste of Anna Friel. It's a waste of Finn Cole. And I'm sorry, Famke Janssen, but this is about your level these days. It's rubbish. It's infuriating. Um, it's tonally all over the place. Characters uh, don't make sense. It's like they're different people from scene to scene. Nobody in it is likable. And, um, you know, average IMDb rating 5.1. I'd say that's fucking generous. Locked in. I would rather be locked in a room with a fucking shark. I'd rather be locked in a water tank with a shark. Thank you very much. Anyway. Next up, Oppenheimer. Yeah, I mean, you know what this is about. You know who it's by, in case you don't. It's Christopher Nolan. It's the story of American scientist J. Robert Oppenheimer and his role in the development of the atomic bomb. Directed by Christopher Nolan, um, starring uh, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Cillian Murphy, for that is how he pronounces it. And um, it's up for a load of Oscars, and I can see why. I mean, this movie comes in at nearly nearly three hours and it didn't drag yeah i mean well it is three hours actually the movie length it gets an 8.4 on imdb although it's a very imdb movie i'm sure on rotten tomatoes it doesn't get a higher score but maybe it does maybe i'm just being snobby but anyway really enjoyed it it really is mainly people in rooms talking how do you make an interesting movie three hours long of people in rooms talking 
Well, ask Christopher Nolan because he's done it. Really enjoyed it. Um, I, I'm not really expanding on it that much because I need to see it again, really. So much happens that I do need to see it again. Um, and I, 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 yeah, what can I say? I want to see it again and it's three hours of people in rooms talking. I mean, I mean, it's not all that, obviously, but fucking hell. Yeah, what an achievement. What a movie. It's also the highest grossing biopic of all time. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? Anyway, next up is The Killer, um, another Netflix movie. Now, I'm sure if you've got Netflix, you might have already watched this because it's directed by David Fincher. Um, it stars Michael Fassbender and Tilda Swinton. So straight away, you're going to be like, mm, yeah, I think I'm going to check this out. Or maybe it's on your list and you're going to get to it. I'm a huge David Fincher fan. Um... I mean, you know, who doesn't love Fight Club? I'm also a big um, Michael Fassbender fan. And so for those two to come together, yeah. Two hours long, one hour, 58 minutes. And um, I can tell you now, the first 20 minutes um, are some of the most um, boring and frustrating minutes I've had watching a movie in this list. Um, I mean, very... My problem with The Killer is that there are absolutely no surprises. It really is just scene after after scene of what you're expecting. So then it's about how it's delivered, you know. Oh, but the, the lighting and the, oh, the, the cinematography and the blocking. Fuck that, okay? Don't give me that. Oh, but it's the aesthetic of the... No, 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 no. For me, unfortunately, I like the occasional curveball. And um, I'm going to roughly sum up the movie. So maybe skip past this bit, you know, flick on 30 seconds, you'll have missed it. This is the movie. Hitman spends ages setting up. Uh, and after 20 minutes, yeah, you guessed it, you're expecting it. He doesn't kill the guy, he misses. So then goes home, turns out one of his, uh, uh, turns out his, his uh, girlfriend's been beaten up. So... He decides he's going to find out who who did it. It's going to be the people behind the um, the failed hit. So he goes after everybody, kills them. The end. So if you're back, you've avoided the um, uh, basically what happens in the movie, and that's it. And I was a bit kind of like, okay, well that's oh this scene's coming, this scene's coming, this scene's coming. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah, my you know Michael Fassbender's good in it. I, I've just left a little bit. The, the the movie is a bit hollow because the lead character is zero charisma. I mean, that's almost like the whole point of the movie. There's a constant voiceover as well, which is him and his, you know, I, I'm not a normal guy, you know. And you just think, yeah, this is, this is basically somebody with no personality narrating. And all that does is just crystallise how little personality they have. And how boring this person is. Despite the fact he's a killer, people could still be boring, you know. This is the most fucking boring contract killer you'd ever fucking want to meet. And no, that's... N it, it, oh, but isn't that the brilliant the play of the opposites? No, it fucking isn't. It's just fucking unrewarding, dull, and a little bit boring. And that is some kind of achievement to take a movie about a serial killer. Yeah, well, you get the picture. I wasn't really impressed. Definitely not going to watch that again. However, I am going to be watching The Creator again. 
Really enjoyed enjoyed this. New movie from Gareth Edwards. Against the backdrop of a war between humans and robots with artificial intelligence, a former soldier finds the secret weapon, a robot in the form of a young child. Um, it's, it's just fantastic. Um, uh, John David Washington, um, that's right, Denzel's son, he is just awesome in this. L absolutely loved him in it. He's the main dude. Um, the effects are fantastic. The story is fantastic. Talk about world building. I mean, this is like, this is a sci-fi movie that if this had come out like 10 or 20 years ago, people would be absolutely dropping their shopping about it. But as it is, there's just so much comes out now. It's hard to keep up with everything. But this movie, I absolutely loved it. The look is gorgeous. The effects are spectacular spot on it's it and it's just unusual it's a different premise uh, or, or you know a war between humans and robots no that really doesn't do it justice it really doesn't it's full of heart it's full of brilliant action it's full of pathos just really really enjoyed this um so much better than a sci-fi film i'm going to mention later this is yeah the creator um i yeah, really, really, really enjoyed The Creator. Great performances from everybody. And um, Gareth Davis, bang up, dog, bang up job, which, I, you know, it had to happen sooner or later because I remember going to the cinema seeing his first ever movie, Monsters. Don't know if any of you have seen it. Bored the shit out of me. Really did, you know. And you see the monsters for about, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds, just look like a couple of flying jellyfish. And uh, and again, I was like, oh yeah, but isn't it brilliant? The movie's about monsters, but it's all about like the atmosphere and the you know, and the and the unseen threat. I go see a movie called Monsters. Sorry, I may be fucking incredibly shallow, but I'm I want to see monsters. Okay, don't call your film monsters and not have monsters in it. That's all I'm saying. Big word on the poster, monsters. That's it. One title, one word, monsters. Go see the movie. No monsters. Fuck you. That is not interesting. I was not scared by the threat that wasn't there. Show me the monsters. <laughs> now I'm reviewing a movie from years ago. Uh, but anyway, that was the creator. Loved it. Now, next up, one hour, 44 minutes, The Baker. It's one hour and 44 minutes in the, uh, in the company of Ron Perlman and occasionally Harvey Keitel. And let's just say that Ron Perlman, Ron Perlman, Ron Perlman is the said baker of the title. His son turns up, who's a bit of a disappointment, a lot of a disappointment, and um, and dumps his daughter on him and goes and do some stuff. Doesn't come back. The daughter is brilliant. She's absolutely wonderful. I think her name is Elias Cotes. Uh, she's wonderful in it. Um, clearly, Ron Perlman has, has, is a baker, but he's like been something else in the past. Basically, he's hard as fuck. Um, and unlike The Killer, this movie unravels and you pretty much know what's going to happen. You're pretty sure all the way. Although there is a nice little twist. But unlike The Killer, this is full of personality, of characters you care about, um, of just interesting and just it's it's everything for me that the killer wasn't about somebody we know very little about he doesn't speak a massive amount um but 
it's a wonderful performance by Ron Perlman, um, who's been in some pretty shitty films of late. But this is it's good. It's good. And Harvey Keitel being in it as well was a really, really, is really nice touch. He puts in a nice little performance as well, as the kind of character that Harvey Keitel should always be. You know, a sort of mobbed up boss, but he's not in the mob, if you know what I mean. And um, yeah, it was just really cool. Really enjoyed it. Um, no surprises, but yeah, maybe a few. Maybe a few. The Baker is better than The Killer. Yeah? Well, in my opinion. Give me a baker ever a killer. Maybe the candlestick maker will be the next film. <laughs> okay, this is where the laughs, everything just stops now. This, this was tough. This was a tough, tough watch. Um, for the worst reasons possible. This is a documentary, and it is called Twenty Days in Maripol. And it is about the first 20 days in Maripol, in Ukraine, first 20 days of the Russian invasion, and it is devastating. It is brutal. Uh, I ha I literally got halfway through, um, well, not halfway through, it's an hour and 35 minutes, I watched an hour, and then um, I went out for a walk and cleared my head and came back and finished it. I did not want to finish it. I did not want to finish it. Um, but I thought, if these people can fucking go through what they're going through, they have no choice, they can't go out for a walk, then I, I frankly, I'd be pretty bullish if I didn't go back inside and, and, and watch what these people are going through, which is absolutely horrific. Um, there are scenes in this that are way more distressing than anything you will ever see in the most grossest horror film because this is the horror of war and it's real and seeing seeing tiny babies well seeing babies little children's bodies being shocked with miniature electric paddles to try and bring them back to life is an image that will stay with me for a very very long time um it is unflinching it is not um a piece of propaganda it's a documentary it's a couple of guys with one camera walking around filming and then they put it all together it is an amazing achievement it deserves to win so many awards and um it is absolutely fucking brutal. It really is. It's not for everyone. I can appreciate that. But um, twenty days in Maripol. Um, yeah, just uh, yeah, makes you makes you really want to kick Putin in the face with a gun, if you know what I mean. Um, so uh, I mean. The juxtaposition of the, this next movie is just fucking ridiculous. This next movie is called Bad CGI Gator. Okay. Now, the minute you hear the title, you may be wondering, Howard, why did you watch that? And the answer is, I don't fucking know. I just did. And it, it's 58 minutes. And I've got to be honest, <laughs> it fucking dragged. I mean, it's it's... 
I watched it because I thought it's going to have a sense of humour about itself. It's just going to be stupid. It's it's too stupid. It's I mean it's it is too stupid. Um, you could have a bad CGI gator, but one that flies, fuck off, right? And also, nothing happens for about the first twenty-five minutes. But that's like, you know, that's nearly halfway through the movie. But one thing that does happen in those first twenty-five movies is, you really, really hope that everybody in it dies. They are some of the most horrific, annoying. Ah, uh, oh, I wanted to scratch my skin off at one point. The characters were so fucking annoying. I just wanted to sit on top of them all and just punch them unconscious one by one. Oh, man. It's, yeah. So anyway, I mean, I can't see anybody watching that. I was fucking stupid enough to, you know. Next up, um, big movie on Netflix. You may have already seen it. Came on over Christmas. Um, Saltburn. What a cast. Um... Barry, is it Keegan or Cogan or Cohen? Uh, Jacob Alori, Rosamund Pike. Um, also, uh, Richard E. Grant, who's going to come up in another film a little bit later on. I mean, uh, you know, there's a load of stars in it. Reese Shearsmith is in it as well. Um, load of stars. Um, really interesting, really interesting movie. It, it's, um, it was not what I thought it was going to be. It really isn't. And um, I didn't... Right, I'm going to read this for you. This is the the logline. A student at Oxford University finds himself drawn into the world of a charming and aristocratic classmate who invites him to his family's eccentric, sprawling estate for a summer never to be forgotten. That is all you need to know, and I am not going to reveal anything about where this movie goes. It didn't go where I thought it was going to go. And there are several stages where I thought I had it pegged and it turns out I didn't. Um, I really enjoyed it, but I felt, I don't know, it was strangely unsatisfying. Um, the last, about the last minute and a half, two minutes of the movie are absolutely insane and a, a stranger way of signing off at the end of a film you, pro you will struggle to find. Um, but every all the characters in it are are interesting. Um, some of them are absolutely despicable. Some of them are just so posh. They just they they sound like money when they walk. <laughs> you know what I mean? These people have fucking loose change for blood. It is just ridiculous, and they're so disconnected with the world as the rich are. Um, it, it, and it, it and this guy's sort of come from nothing um but this movie just it 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 just keeps you on edge and it keeps revealing little bits where you're like well hang on that doesn't jive with where where i thought this was going or what in fact everything i've watched so far it's a it's a sneaky motherfucker this one it is it's it's I might have to watch it again, talking about it now, and, and it's all coming back to me, and I can really clearly remember quite a, a lot of the scenes, and it's beautifully shot, and, and it, it looks great, and the performances are great. Um, it's, um, but there's, I don't know, there's something about it that I just didn't, I don't know, made me a bit uncomfortable, or it... it it, it didn't feel as rewarding as it should have done by the time it finished. 
like I didn't feel like I'd been mugged like you know I I I decided it was one kind of movie and it wasn't or I'd planned out loads of things that would happen and they didn't or anything like that it was just it was just more a feeling of yeah okay and I'm thinking maybe that that yeah okay is yeah maybe I need to watch that again um and maybe I do I would certainly give it a go Saltburn I don't know if that I don't even know if I've even reviewed that to be honest I've, I'm not sure you're what you're supposed to do with that um but that's kind of how I how I feel now this next movie one hour 36 minutes who does it star Michael Caine and Glenda Jackson fucking hell and Wolf Kayla really you're joking Bernard Jordan escapes from his care home to attend the 70th anniversary of the D-Day landings in France. True story. True story. The real guy died six months before the movie came out. Sorry, no, died six months after he, uh, later after he got back. His wife died two weeks after that. Um, Michael Caine and Glenda Jackson are absolutely brilliant in this. Michael Caine only said he'd do it if Wolf Kaler was in it. He was in um, Where Eagles Dare with Wolf Kayla all those years ago and he said that's you know I, I want to you know if he's got to be in it basically um and I thought this was just going to be like you know a bit of a bit of a laugh right and there's some there is some brilliant humor in this um I found it bizarrely strangely moving I, I really did um it gets a 7 out of 10 on on IMDb. Personally, I'd give it more than that. I'd give it at least an 8. Um, oh, I mean, Glenda Jackson and Michael Caine are just superb in it. Glenda Jackson. It's the last movie she ever made. Um, and uh, No, she died six months before the movie came out. And um, she's absolutely wonderful in it. She really is. Um, you can imagine what the story is. So I'm not, I'm, you know, it, it's, it's right there in the log line. It's it's just honestly, I absolutely loved it. It's funny, it's moving, it's a true story. It contains absolutely wonderful acting. Um, it's it's brilliantly brought to the screen, to the screen, and the the trailer is playing out in front of me at the moment. And there is a scene in the in it where they get to Paris, and they you know the scene of the D Day landings and all the rest of it, and um and they're in a bar. And there's some Germans in the bar as well. And this guy goes over and says they'd they'd like to um they'd like to say hello. And it is it is a scene. It is a scene. It really is. Made all the more poignant by the fact that uh the the main German dude um was in where you know is it where Eagles there? I think he's, yeah, something like that. Or Guns of Navarone, it was one of them that Michael Caine, they were both in. And here they are all these years later, about 60 years later, there they are, you know, back in the movie again. And honestly, I didn't see that, that scene coming. And when it did, absolutely knocked me for six. Really did. And there's some lovely flashback work in this film as well of when about how Michael Caine and Glenda Jackson, about how that couple met originally. And it, honestly, it is one of the most beautiful, moving, funny, feel-good, sad movies you'll, you'll ever see. 
it it deserves to just it deserves some awards it deserves to win something it really does um michael kane for his for his appearance and and posthumously glenda jackson for hers a truly truly wonderful film the great escaper one hour 36 minutes so in other words 90 minutes you know no messing about just can't can't say enough about it really enjoyed it um this is a documentary and it's a bit weird it's called trees and other entanglements i don't expect many people to actually find this that interesting irene taylor crafts a poetic meditation on nature mortality and the passage of time in her exploration of our symbolic nexus our symbiotic nexus with trees i mean to be fair that is a load of fucking word soup right there what's an absolute load of shit I mean, that sounds like it was written by the filmmaker themselves. And they filmmakers should be kept away from describing their own films. It's up for everybody else to interpret the movie, you know? It's it's it's, it's like, it's, you know, as a musician, that's why you don't say what songs are about. Because everybody figures out what the songs are about. And they tell you, you know, and that's it. You wrote it about something fucking obscure that happened to you. But then everybody else takes it. And, yeah, I mean, let's just read that again. Irene Taylor crafts a poetic meditation on nature, mortality and the passage of time in her exploration of our symbiotic nexus with trees. She makes a documentary about how trees are important to some people and what roles they've played in their lives. There you go. Put that on the fucking poster. There's some really interesting stories in there. And it's about people who work with trees. It's, there's one story about a bloke who's a, an American fully qualified bonsai expert. And he worked for seven years under a teacher in Japan. And, I mean, it sounds worse than trying to learn martial arts. He was absolutely... Basically, the, the main dude didn't talk to him for the first six months at all. And he was literally treated like a dog, you know, kept in a fucking room, made to sleep on the floor, the lot. But once he got through it... Yeah, and then, and that's just one small story amongst other stories. A woman whose family, she grew up on an estate and her family lived on that estate and they were there for 50 years and they planted a family tree and then the estate got taken over and the tree had gone. And, 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 and there's another story about a guy, it shows him an old hippie and he's like back in the day in the 70s and he's just walking around planting trees. And it shows him now in his 70s, he's still fucking doing it. Except now he owns a company that plants the second largest tree planting company in the States and is just about to tr plant their billionth tree. Mental. It just absolutely bizarre. Now, I am a bit of a, check this word out, I'm a bit of a dendrophile myself. A dendrophile is somebody who likes trees. A very lofty name for saying, yeah, I like trees, mate. Um, I, I don't know. I've got a bit of a fascination about them. So hence, watch this, Trees and Other Entanglements. And um, yeah. I enjoyed it. It's a HBO documentary, which means you can get it on Sky or Now TV over here. So, I mean, if you like movies, then you're well aware that Martin Scorsese has a new fucking movie out. It's co-written with Eli Roth. Uh, it stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro in the main. It's called Killers of the Flower Moon. And again... This uh, this is another movie that rocks up. Uh, well, actually, this is three hours and twenty six minutes, and I, I I put it off and I put it off. And Christmas is the time to watch this, so watched it. 
And after three hours and 26 minutes, I was like, well, I can't believe that was three hours and 26 minutes. Um, it's just a brilliant bit of storytelling. It is all based on um, real events, real people, what really happened. Of course, it's going to go without saying, isn't it, that uh, that Scorsese does an amazing job, that Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro are fucking brilliant. They do loads of scenes together, they're fucking brilliant. But everybody else in this movie is fucking brilliant as well. You know why? Scorsese is directing, that's why. And nobody is getting out, nobody is getting away with putting anything in than a fucking brilliant performance. So, uh, the, you know, the two previously mentioned, Lily Gladstone is absolutely fucking amazing in it. Jesse Plemons is great. Um, John Lithgow is brilliant Brendan Fraser is in it he's fantastic Cara Jade Myers is wonderful I mean I could just literally name everybody in it and go yeah they're all absolutely fantastic and they are um, it's uh, yeah it's, it's a true story of when oil is discovered in the 1920s Oklahoma under Osage Nation land the Osage people are murdered one by one until the FBI steps in to try and unravel the mystery so I never knew this. I never knew the, the story of rich Red Indians um, who owned the land the oil was found on. And isn't it funny that one by one they all seem to get ill and die? Uh, it's really amazing. It, and there's just Leonardo DiCaprio's character. Oh, man. You, you, you want him to... You want him to be someone else. You want him to turn into someone else. You want him to learn. You want him to be better. And uh, he tries, bless him. It's um, it's heartbreaking at times. They, I mean, and it just it looks wonderful. It's just fucking great. I mean, Christ, you know, it's a Scorsese movie. We're not going to get many more before um, he no doubt passes away. Why am I? Why am I? Where have I, why have I gone there? Why have I gone there? Um, the guy's got loads more movies in him but you know maybe not as many now he's getting on a bit so yeah check it out Killers of the Flower Moon do not be put off by 3 hours and 26 minutes and yeah I fucking recommended it and I said I wasn't going to recommend movies well I'm recommending this it's 3 hours and 26 minutes and if any of you think it's boring you can fuck off <laughs> um, this could I mean and now the polar opposite yeah Rebel Moon part 1 a child of fire. When a peaceful settlement on the edge of a distant moon finds itself threatened by the armies of a tyrannical ruling force, a mysterious stranger living among its villagers becomes their best hope for survival. I mean, for a start, Rebel Moon. And you're thinking, um, is that Star Wars? Uh, and then it starts and you just go, is this a joke? Is, is this, is this going to get better at some point? Is this going to get good? And the answer is no. No, it isn't. It is a shit attempt by Zack Schneider to to basically do a sci-fi movie and it's a tribute to Star Wars and it's a tribute to Blade Runner and it's a tribute to all of the sci-fi movies that you can think of. And in other words, it's like watching scene for scene of scenes taken from other movies stitched together badly the worst least creative dullest fucking dialogue you can possibly imagine um remember 300 when you first saw that 
yeah, Zack Schneider movie, 300, slow motion, punching, blood fighting. Wow, that's pretty fucking impressive, that. And here we are, all these years later, and Zack Schneider is still fucking doing it. Slow-mo, slow-mo, slow-mo. Fucking hell, has anybody ever told Zack Snyder that sometimes less is more? No! More is more if he is Zack Snyder. Uh, this movie does not have a fucking chance. It is just... It's, it, it, it's a fucking joke. It's a bad joke. With every scene, you just think, oh, that's a scene from so-and-so, oh, that's... A and all, it, all you're doing, all of the movies that it's paying homage to, you just think, yeah, I wish I, I, wish I was watching that. I really do wish I was watching one of the films that this is supposed to be. And I thought it might stand a chance with Anthony Hopkins doing some voiceover. No, not a fucking chance. And, and then, so I did some digging. And really, I mean, it's absolute bollocks it really is basically this is right sequels rebel moon is planned to be a franchise that begins with a two-part film right okay we've seen part one each part to be shot back to back by august of the same year the follow-up was officially confirmed with rebel moon part two the the scar giver and scheduled for release for eighth of on april the 19th well, I fucking will not be watching that, April 19th, 2024. Development of additional instalments in the story are ongoing, with the script for the third film already being worked on as, as of December 2023. Shame they couldn't work on the fucking first one. Snyder's exact series-length plans are unclear, yet his fucking motivations are, are clear. His plans are not. Having, start, having stated that the film is intended to be the first in a trilogy, but also that it would be followed by a trilogy of sequels, implying four or five total. Yeah, fuck off. Other media. Snyder has stated his intent for Rebel Moon to become a massive IP and a universe that can be built out. A role-playing video game based on Rebel Moon was in develop development as of March 2023, alongside an animated short and a graphic novel. A novelisation of the film, written by V. Castro, was published by Titan Books on December the 26th, 2023. I went into HMV over Christmas, and there it was. The shit fucking film already has a fucking graphic novel out about it. It's like, no, no, this should not be allowed. Snyder announced in July 2023, developing a four-player co-op action game that would be exclusively available on Netflix Games platform. In September 2023, Evil Genius Games sued Netflix for terminating a deal that allowed them to produce a tabletop role-playing game in the Rebel Moon universe. Hey, Evil Genius Games, fuck me, guys, you got off. You got off lightly. You got out of this fucking shit fucking broth that fucking Zack Schneider's cooking. You want to pull yourself out of that. Four-issue prequel comic entitled Rebel Moon, House of the Blood Axe by writer, whoever, an artist, somebody, will be published by Titan Comics in January 2024. Yes, it was. I saw it on the shelves. Set five years before the events of the film that no one gives a fuck about. The comic is set to depict a backstory for the characters. Brilliant. Well, do you know what? It might have helped if those characters had any fucking depth in the film they're in. Never mind putting books out, giving us some actual backstory. 
I, these, I mean, basically, it's like all the failings of the movie he thinks he can make up with by putting out books, games, and fucking graphic novels. In November 2023, a narrative podcast, an animated book, and an animated series were announced to be in development with each project taking place chronologically before the feature films, the film you don't give a fuck about. They're really going, oh, we're going to do shitloads of stuff about before this even happened. What? This shit that no one cares about. This shit that is shit. This rubbish. This ballless, total ripoff of every sci-fi film you've ever seen. This confused narrative, characterless pile of fucking shit. You're going to give us loads and loads of backstory about the universe, about how they got there. The answer to many questions nobody has asked. What an absolute... Oh, what? The animated short is set to tell the story of Kaylee, the shadow figures, who's, who power the mother world's most dangerous technology. Well, I think I remember seeing something about that in the film, but I can't really remember. It all just disappeared into a fucking woeful swamp of shit CGI, one-dimensional characters, rubbish dialogue, as if it was written by... Uh, the, the dialogue read like a dyslexic monkey's suicide note. It was absolute drivel. And Charlie Hunnam's in it. I mean, so there you go. If that's not a fucking... Yeah, oh, Charlie Hunnam's in it. Oh, what, the guy was really good. Fucking brilliant. In, um... Uh, in Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, and the guy who every film he's in, it's like he's got the Midas touch in reverse. Yeah. 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 Rebel Moon. I mean, fucking Rebel Moon. Rebel fucking Moon. Oh, and there's even, there's even a fucking, you know, the cantina bar in Star Wars with all the aliens in it. Oh, within half an hour, guess where you are? Honestly, it's pathetic. It is fucking pathetic. And in the cantina bar, a shadowy figure emerges with a big hood. Yeah, yeah. Except it's not Alec Guinness with amazing powers. It's Charlie Hunnam doing an Irish accent. Yes, you heard right. And Joey sounds like Scottish. It's fucking rubbish. <laughs> right. So, now I've got that off my chest. Um, there's always at least one film that I'm going to get really aerated about. And, and uh, you know, that's it in this case. Well, you know, aerated as in, yeah, not happy. So, next up, The Royal Hotel. Um, this stars Jennifer Garner, who I absolutely love. She's fucking brilliant. She, Jennifer Garner, Ju, sorry, Jennifer, what am I talking about? Julia Garner, Julia Garner. Very difficult, very difficult, very different from Jennifer Garner. Sorry, and you know what this is? This is just, this is Rebel Moonitis. Julia Garner. She of um, Ozarks, Mrs. Sweary, won the Emmy every year, quite rightly, absolutely brilliant. Jessica Hennick, who's fantastic in this. And they're the two main characters, these two girls. Backpackers Hannah and Liv take a job in a remote Australian pub for some extra cash and are confronted with a bunch of unruly locals and a situation that is heading to a not particularly good place. Um, do you know what? Like the killer, not much happens. 
for a good hour, but you know something is going to happen. And just enough happens to keep you engaged and keep you thinking, "Mm, yeah, I'm not sure about this, and just make you kind of feel a bit uncomfortable. And it's it's also real. There's something really, really real about it. Um, I mean, you know, it's when they're in the outback, it's you know your mouth goes dry when you're watching it it's it's that kind of movie it really is um i enjoyed it um it's it's not life changing uh, no particular massive twists or anything like that but it's a really good character study and it's a really it's it's just different you know the whole movie's set in the outback of australia um it's it is it's raw and uncut and yeah it's uh, yeah, explosive subverts whatever expectations you think you may have is one of the quotes apparently um it, yeah it's cool it's cool um and just different so yeah i really enjoyed it royal hotel um cracking ending as well can't beat a cracking ending and at one hour and 30 minutes yeah it was definitely worth one hour and 30 minutes of my time and dumb money was worth one hour and 45 minutes of my time Dumb Money, David versus Goliath. Uh, t- uh, this is the David versus Goliath tale about everyday people who flipped the script on Wall Street and got rich by turning GameStop, the video game store, into the world's hottest company. This is a true story. This happened um, towards the end of lockdown. It's the true story of one guy who was on the net basically saying, I think this stock has been undersold. Um, I think Wall Street is betting that this company is going to go under. And I'm going to bet against them because I think they're wrong, because I think it's being undervalued, and it just suits Wall, Wall, uh, just suits Wall Street to put, for this company to go out of business so they can all make money out of it going out, going out of business. And, I mean, that's, you know, that's a sort of hodgepodge dickhead's version of it, that me being the dickhead. Um, stars Paul Dano, Pete Davidson, Vincent um, DeFornio. Really good. A true story. Um, and basically, a lot of people lost a lot of fucking money. And they were all on Wall Street. And this is a true story. And as it unfolds, you were just like, really? Really? This is fucking true? And yeah, it's one of those, the credits at the end, you see the real people unbelievable this dude changed how wall street operates yeah that's right for real for fucking real from his basement with a laptop changed how wall street operates because dumb money is basically what wall street referred to as retail investors that's you and me people putting money on you know buying shares on the stock exchange that's called dumb money and now since this all happened um all of the companies on wall street now look at where retail investors are putting their money and respect it because they cannot afford to have what happens in this movie happen to any of them again oh yeah it's absolutely yeah it's just life-affirming stuff. Real good, feel-good movie. Um, and and everybody in it is brilliant. They really are. It's, it's, 
it's just yeah it's a joy to watch and there's some and there's some really cool um uh i won't say cameo appearances uh but clancy brown's in it you, you recognize him from shawshank what are you what are you looking at you fat barrel of monkey spunk you know him uh, sorry but i always love that line um <coughs> excuse me um yeah there's just loads of loads of cool people in it it's really cool it's really well directed really well acted and yeah it's kind of it's kind of mad that this this actually happened so if you want to know check it out dumb money next up um this is on amazon prime at the moment um it's amsterdam this was from 2022 it's two hours and 14 minutes it's a david o russell movie um he also wrote it he also directed it and i mean straight away you see the stars well uh, Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Alessandro Nivolo, Andrea Riseborough, Anna Taylor-Joy, Chris Rock, Michael Shannon, Mike Myers, Timothy Oliphant, Zoe Salander, Rami Malek, Robert De Niro. I mean, do you want to know someone else I'm going to throw in here? Taylor Swift. Yeah, right. I mean, if I have, I mean, if that list, if that cast list is not enough for you to go, well, do you know what? I don't. I'm really not bothered what you think, Howard. I'm. I'm going to check that out because that is a cast list, and that that movie cannot be shit. Well, it isn't. It's really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, the uh, the plot. Well, the plot. The logline is: In the 1930s, three friends witness a murder, are framed for it, and uncover one of the most outrageous plots in American history. Again, true story, and it's brilliantly told. Um, it's set in the 30s and um, basically it's exactly that. Um, it's just, I can't even begin to kind of describe what happens. And But all I, what I can tell you is that the, the performances are superb. Um, it's definitely, I mean, I, I loved it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a David O. Russell fan. Um, now, if you're wondering, mm, okay, yeah, David O. Russell, I, I, I know the name. But, you know, what else has he done, Howard? Um, American Hustle, Silver Linings Playbook, uh, The Fighter, Three Kings. Remember that back in the day? What a fucking movie, eh? What was it? Um, what is it? Uh, Matt Damon and George Clooney. Yeah, fucking very cool. Um, yeah, so, you know, I Heart Huckabees, that's one of his. Anchorman, yeah, that's one of his. So, yeah, it's uh, that's David O. Russell. Anyway. Um, really cool movie um, check it out it's just yeah bloody marvellous right next up dream scenario as regular listeners will know there's always going to be a Nicolas Cage film in my list and this is the Nicolas Cage film Dream scenario. A hapless family man finds his life turned upside down when millions of strangers suddenly start seeing him in their dreams. When his nightmare appearances take a... Uh, uh, when his nighttime appearances take a nightmarish turn, Paul is forced to navigate his newfound stardom. Now, this is one of those movies where it starts well and it starts revealing itself and you're like, OK, it's got to where... It, it's got to where it was going pretty quickly now um, this gets a 7 out of 10 on IMDB and I think that is really generous I think it is at best a 5 um, 
because as I said, it starts well, it, it reveals itself, but it's like the the concept, the conceit of the movie is never truly um, realised. It's like they had this brilliant idea, they got halfway through the film went, not kind of sure what to do with this. And for me, it just stalls. And the the second part of the movie starts dragging. Um, I just, I don't know. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's actually really cool when he's being in people's dreams, which is kind of weird. Then there's a few scenarios that happen. And, and some people tell him, you know, about the dreams because he's a, he's a, um, university lecturer some of his students saying well you're in my dream and blah blah and, and that's all really interesting then when things turn a bit dark it gets a bit okay that's fucked and then it, it I don't know it's, it's just uh, yeah you kind of feel like he starts getting punished for something that he didn't have any control over in the first place and then it just all seems to just I don't know it just sort of crumbles it fails to hold itself together um, and ultimately yeah I'd give it a 5 out of 10 at best not interested in watching it again um, dream scenario yeah it's basically yeah I'd say unrealised potential there you go That's I put that on the school report next up the Holdovers. Now, yes, I have already seen this. Not going to explain why, but I have. Or rather how, but I have. And this is like a movie from another era. Um, it's it's excellent. Really, really enjoyed it. A cranky history teacher at a remote prep school is forced to remain on campus over the holidays with a troubled bunch of students and um, uh, who have no place to go uh, and a grieving cook. So... Right there, that's an old school scenario. Yeah, loads of people who get, get, all get thrown together in a situation. Let's see what happens. And then let's change that. And then we think we know what's going to happen. Then let's change the dynamic and remove some people. And then let's see how that works. And it's just, you just sit there and let it, and let it flow. It's not one of those, oh, I think I know what's going to happen. Oh, that's it. No, you are just watching a character piece. And that's why you don't know what's going to happen. Because you don't know how these people are going to react in this scenario. Um, it's two and a quarter hours. Flew by. Absolutely fantastic. Real old school um, movie with just, you know, redeeming characters. It's set at Christmas, um, which... It, which normally, you know, you think, oh, fucking hell, yeah. Oh, the no, it's brilliantly done. Um, and, uh, yeah, Christmas is not the big thing about it. The fact that everybody's having to be in school um, when they don't want to be. Um, and, this, you know, just imagine the, the kind of kids that would, would be left in school for Christmas by their parents. I mean, yeah, not not the kind of kids that would be boring and make for a boring film that's for sure um so yeah it kind of re is it is it a bit breakfast club for for 2024 mm, not really but it owes let's say it owes a debt 
to Breakfast Club, but this is not a teen movie. This is a proper, genuine um, adult drama. Um, Paul Giamatti is the teacher. He's fucking brilliant. He's going to get nominated in this. I'll tell you that now. Dominic um, Sessa is the kid. He's fantastic. And uh, Divine Joy Randolph as the grieving cook is fucking brilliant. And you will not see a movie like this for many a year and you will not have seen a movie like this for many a year. It's just heartwarming, funny, heartwarming, heartbreaking, funny, happy, sad, feel good, feel bad. Just a brilliant, brilliant film. Really, really is. And it's a film, you know. It's not a movie. Sorry, I'm laughing because that's a, a line in um, Bowfinger, isn't it? The... Um... The uh, Steve Martin comedy where Eddie Murphy's going, come on, man, we're trying to make a movie, not a film. <laughs> but yeah, The Holdovers, yeah, just a really, really, really good film. Really enjoyed it. Um, timeless. Next up, Leave the World Behind. I suspect um, some of you will have already watched this Julia Roberts vehicle on Netflix. Uh, a family's getaway to a luxurious rental home takes an ominous turn when a cyber attack knocks out their devices and two strangers appear at their door. Well, director Sam Ismail. Um, writer is uh, Ruman Alam and Sam Ismail. Stars Julia Roberts and Marshala Ali and Ethan Hawke. Um, and it's... I thought it was fucking awesome. I really, really enjoyed this. Some people have complained about the ending. I think the ending is perfect. I think, um, yeah, not not every movie is going to end with a nice little bow tying it up for your fucking oh look, yes, that that happens and that happens and that sometimes, yeah, the movie will stop at a place and it's up for you to decide what the next scene might have been, you know, something like that. But anyway, I'm focusing on the end. I don't know why, because I thought the end was fucking great. This movie starts out with, oh, bit of a power cut. And boy, does it fucking just ramp up the tension and the stakes minute by minute. Um, I genuinely, I think this is probably the first Netflix movie that I wish I'd seen at the cinema. I really enjoyed it. I am definitely going to be watching this again. Um, I don't want to give too much away. That's why I'm sort of skirting around it. Um, you know, they want to leave the world behind. They want to get away. They want to get out into the country and just fucking fuck everybody. Let's get away for like a weekend. Um, just us, you know, that's that. And there's a power cut. Devices are out. Two strangers turn up at the door. Turns out they're not so strange. And yeah. But everything else is about to go to shit. Everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. And there's also Kevin Bacon playing the role of a just a fucking baseball cap wearing conspiracy theorist nutball. Or is he? Are we all wrong and he's right? Or is he wrong and we're... Well, we just don't know, do we? Leave the world behind. Yeah, fucking loved that. Next up, 
The Lesson. It's Richard E. Grant's second appearance. The Lesson. A young author takes a tutoring position at the estate of a legendary writer. The legendary writer is Richard E. Grant. His wife is Julie Delphi. Um, the, the student who takes the job is Daryl McCormack. And it's brilliant. It's really good. It is... Um, Richard E. Grant is great as the usual character, you know, um, this genius who is a genius and tells everybody else that they're fucking shit. Uh, not particularly likable. Um, but then you start to wonder, is he as good as you think? And then there's uh, there's a little bit of digging into his past. And the young author is, who's you know, the young, the, the young tutor who's tutoring his son, Richard E. Grant's son, the son that's alive, because one's died, drowned in the lake, because um, they've got a lake in the garden, you know, don't you? Yeah, I mean, and again, you know, Richard, a., Richard E. Grant plays a posh boat living in a in a big posh mansion. What a surprise! Um, but I don't think they even had auditions for that. They just went, somebody ring Richard E. Grant, will you? Yeah, we need a posh bloke who can do nasty really well, and live in a big posh house. Is 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 Richard? Ve- he's, oh, he's just finishing Saltburn. Oh, perfect. Yeah, well, tell him it's the next. It's the next big fucking house on the street. Yeah, it's next. Next man. It's the mansion next door. Yeah, tell him to pop in when he's finished that. <laughs> um, I'm. I'm. I, 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 honestly, I sound like I'm doing it down. I don't mean to. It's really good. There's. Um, there's lots of twists and turns. And Julie Delphi is great as the. Um, as the long-suffering wife who enjoys the. Uh, the the young tutor spying on her when she's indulging in um, sexual exploits with Richard E. Grant and there's lots of tension and there's a lot of conjecture about how Richard E. Grant somehow manages to finish his latest novel. He hasn't brought one out for years. But the problem seems to be the ending. All the rest of it, that's fine. In fact, it's fucking brilliant. Why is the ending so hard to write? And just not like, not nowhere near as good as the first parts. Hmm. Well, you're going to find out. The lesson. Very good. One hour and 43 minutes. Enjoy your lesson. Next up, Silent Night. Now, action movie. Directed by the fucking legend that is John Woo. Yeah, everybody remember Hard Boiled back in the day? Oh, yeah. Stars, stars Joel Kinnaman, who I really like. And I was really looking forward to this. Grieving father enacts his long-awaited revenge against a ruthless gang on Christmas Eve. Now, um, the movie starts with the guy running around. He's got a Christmas jumper on. He gets shot in the throat by after he's running. He's, he's chasing after um, two cars that are in a yeah sort of well car chase. Gets shot in the throat, and I'm like, ah, oh, right, Silent Night. Shot in the throat. He's not going to be able to speak. And then I notice that. Uh, no no one's speaking and I'm thinking oh hang on oh no don't do this to me don't don't you fucking dare John Woo don't you fucking dare make a one hour 44 minute action movie 
with no with no dialogue you fucking bastard you have you have and fuck me does it not work um basically what it means is the the, the minute that you that you enter into that conceit it means that you are going to have to try and work around it and it's just stupid for instance his wife ends up texting with him in the same house and you don't think oh she's doing that because they've had a row or anything like by that point it's just like oh right so that's how you're going to do the dialogue between those two is it text i was wondering how you were going to do that and for goodness sake the wife right and i'm sorry i'm gonna i'm gonna find it right the wife oh my god she has the I, I mean so many people in this have just have like one name right her role in this movie it would appear is well let, let me I, I'll, I'll tell you what Catalandro Sandiano Moreno I think that's her name so anyway right um, the child dies that's very sad um, she brings him home right um, and they get out of the car oh child's um, she's left the uh, and by, by, by the way he's been in hospital for like you know weeks months having to like learn to walk again and eventually she brings him home left the kid's bike that he was riding around when the tragedy happened yeah kid's bike is still in the front garden that's a bit insensitive isn't it you know, he, he looks at that, walks in the house, fucking Christmas tree's still up. Oh, you've decided to really fucking kick him in the balls, haven't you? You've not had time to take that down then. <laughs> and they're not talking. So there's just lots of looks and eyebrow movement and huffing and exhaling of breath. And she, all she does in this movie is cry. No word of a lie. I counted, yeah, because I, I had to do something to stay awake. I counted. She has six scenes of crying. And that that's what I mean. It's crying instead of dialogue. It's texting instead of dialogue. And some of the absolute bollocks, cheesy shit in this right you know a newton's cradle you know the little metal balls you let go and it just goes tick, 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 you know and there's like you, know, you see them on a desks from the 80s yeah what an outdated outmoded 80s concept that is oh no well when uh, when our lead character decides he's going to start learning you know how to be a hard bastard and kill all these people he sets one of those going i mean really a Newton's cradle as a time device in an action film. Have you been to cheese school recently, Mr. John Woo? And, yeah, sure, some of the action is great. Um, some of it's fucking stupid. Some of it's way over the top. But you know what? I was going to hang in there all the way, all the way, just to see if there's ever any words. Well, of course, the lead character, now he's got his voice box shot out. It is... It's it's pathetic. It's a stupid idea. Uh, this film would have been much better with dialogue. They could have made loads of more different decisions. 
she would have had to do so much fucking crying the poor woman honestly it's it is it, because it's oh it's such a noble idea isn't it oh the way it's, it's almost balletic it's almost like it's gone back to making a silent film but it's in colour and it's action and it's fucking shove it up your ass. he should be he, female actors everywhere should be complaining about the wife's role in this movie not only like everyone else does she not get any dialogue okay fine but all she gets is crying that's all she's allowed to do is fucking cry. That's bang out of order. I mean, that is, that's pretty fucking sexist if you think about it. Oh, hey. Uh, and, and what's the female character going to do? Oh, I don't know. Uh, cry? Yeah, fuck it. Let's have a crying again. John, mate, we can't do that. Not again. She's cried in the last four scenes. Well, there you go. Fifth won't matter then, will it? Nobody will notice. <laughs> it's just... Fucking Oh, there was there was there was an idea in here. But the thing is, it is it is a pretty base um action film. With and I mean there's nothing original about it apart from the fact there's no dialogue. And I, I, I just wonder almost if this movie started out with dialogue and they just realised they had quite a bit of a turkey and just went, Oh, we've got to do something to try and elevate this above fucking absolute you know, generic action flick. Take all the dialogue out. You. Yeah, yeah, you. Wifey. Get crying. All those scenes that you had those great dialogue in. Yeah, we're cutting those. Just, just, can you do some scenes of crying? Cheers. Fucking really wound me up. What a fucking waste. Silent night. More like silent shite. <laughs> um, I, yes, you will not see that on the movie, uh, on the on the poster. Next up, from 2016, yeah, can't say that I'm not up to date. Um, well, I did, I did, I did say nasty things about Charlie Hunnam earlier, and I like Charlie Hunnam, and I love um, uh, Sons of Anarchy, and I've met Charlie Hunnam, and he's a lovely, lovely bloke, and it's taken me years to get round to watch The Lost City of Z, two hours twenty one minutes, and do you know what, Charlie, Charlie Hunnam is fucking brilliant in this movie. I absolutely loved it. A lot of you will have already seen it. Charlie Hunnam, Robert Pattinson, Sienna Miller, absolutely brilliant. Charlie Hunnam plays a um, a British officer who um, is basically told, right, out the army, we want you to go and do some exploring in, the, um, uh, in South America and uh, we want you to chart rivers and help map it. And he goes out there. He's blown away by the um, uh, the the civilizations that he meets, um, and the people who live in the uh, uh, you know in the jungle. And it's and and it, it's it's incredible. Based on a true story, um, uh, he goes back. He comes back. He goes to war. And then he goes back there. And it's it's yeah, really good. Really enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, a true life drama centering on British explorer Major Percival Fawcett, who disappeared while searching for a mysterious city in Amazon in the nineteen twenties. Or did he? Um yeah, absolutely fantastic. And I think the best thing Charlie Hunnam has um has probably ever done. And I can't believe it took me so long to get round to watching it. And the only reason I did was I was full of fucking cold and I and I just saw it and went, Ah, at last, perfect timing. Put it on. Loved it. 
next up, Mercy on Netflix. Um, a doctor and former military officer finds herself in a deadly battle for survival when the Irish mob takes control of a hospital where she works and her son is taken hostage. No. No. No, no, no. That's not... That's not... That's not the film that I saw. <laughs> oh, hey. You thought I did my research, didn't you? No. Um, right. I saw the Netflix movie, Mercy, which doesn't appear to be in IMDb. How fucking weird is that? Right, hang on a second. I'm going to find out what the fuck's going on here. Right, I found it because, um, well, actually, it turns out it's from 2016. Yeah, I'm I'm one movie from 2016, and here's uh, another one. So, it's a, it's a Netflix original. It's called Mercy. You will find it, guess where, on Netflix. And um, it stars James Walk, Tom Lipinski, and Caitlin Fitzgerald. And basically, when four estranged brothers return home to say their last goodbye to their dying mother, Grace, hidden motivations reveal themselves. Um, there are four brothers, uh, which means there are two, two um, half-brothers and two full whole brothers. The two half-brothers are not to get any of her money from the will. The other two brothers are to get the entire inher inheritance. And um, what basically takes place is a, a home invasion. But I really don't want to go into too much depth other than to say not everything is as you think it is going to be. Um, this gets 4.2 on IMDb, and I think that is really low. I think that's totally unfair. I'd give it a 6. Um, it's really weird because the length of the movie is 90 minutes. And I would say the first 45 minutes, you go, right, okay, this is all happening. I know what's going on. The second 45 minutes, you see what you've just watched but you see it from a different angle and realize that it's a different movie um i thought it was really well done sure it's not it's not gonna fucking it's not gonna change anyone's life it's not like it's not amazing but when i as you've gathered by now i like a curveball i like i like it i like directors throwing me a curveball and this one did and um i might even watch it again um really really interesting with a with a really simmering weird underbelly of religion sewn into the whole fabric of it really really interesting so there you go mercy on netflix next up on netflix swedish film the conference and if you want to hear my review of this well you are going to have to sign up to Patreon because myself and Paul Waller, he of the A Year in Bollocks Parish, sorry, um, is also has a podcast called A Year in Horror, as you probably know. Go and subscribe. It's great. And um, we do A Year in Bollocks. It goes out on his Patreon and it goes out on my Patreon and we pick things for each other. I, po I picked a Netflix series for him, Brand New Cherry, which I'm going to be talking about in a bit. And he picked Swedish horror film The Conference for me. 
and you know we basically go right okay what did you think things is and what did you think to that and it's you know we do that once a month so if you like some of that you'll see in the description of this podcast there is a link that says support the podcast click it go to patreon sign up cool sign up for as little as three dollars a month as little as three dollars a month i mean you're not going to get the most out of it you know six dollars definitely but three dollars you'll still get content you're not getting now that i think you'll like so anyway um i guess that's it with the movies it's now time for the tv show welcome back so it's now time for the tv series and let's dive straight in to this pool of television entertainment um starting with on amazon prime 007 road to a million nine pairs of everyday people are unleashed on an epic global adventure through a series of bond inspired challenges for a shot at winning a life-changing one million pound prize um stars well it stars brian cox basically because brian cox is going to play the sort of evil puppet master who's who's basically going to reveal all of these tasks to everybody um now i struggled to get through the first episode but i managed it and then i ended up binging the whole series in two days because i had to see what happened next um this is reality tv something i do not fucking watch but boy did i watch this um everyday people doing really tricky challenges in some cases some you can figure out and you're shouting at the tv to get them to fucking do it and uh, but i mean honestly they have to i mean some of the sometimes they're having to like dive down into a bay and find stuff in a sunken ship um they're having to scale mountains i mean there's some real heavy shit involved here and really um difficult challenges difficult questions um and the next question is four thousand miles away and they've got to get to and it's just fucking insane and and it just keeps upping the ante but the main thing is that you end up actually really investing in these people and who they are and you hear about what they've been through you know you get a bit of the you know the the behind the scenes of them and what you know why they're on the show and how they got there and um it's 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 really really interesting it really is and the sometimes it can be mates it could be family it could be husband and wife it could be work colleagues um but it's yeah it's insane it really is and um i i there's just it, it's it's mad there's and there's a, a couple of brothers the bone brothers and they are cockneys and they are fucking brilliant they really are um it yeah it's like they they kind of they just react to every situation as as normal people would you know what i mean it's just fucking brilliant um and these these people go all over the world and and do some really physically demanding stuff 
and you see him fucking argue and you see him it's just it's really really hard to describe but I would say first episode doesn't really do it any favours and like I said I gave up I actually ended up coming back to it um, and I'm so glad I did um, I really hope they do a season two it's eight episodes and um seriously some of you out there will give it a go and you'll be like wow I really didn't think I was going to enjoy this as much as I'm enjoying it but I mean at one stage two guys are told yeah the next question is on the roof of your cable car the cable car is stopped halfway down and one of them has to get out of the cable car get on the roof and get the next question at that point, I'm just thinking, you shove your question up your ass. frankly. I'm, I'm not fucking doing that. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, it's really, really good. Really, really good. That is as close to reality TV as I'm ever going to get. Next up, bodies. Four detectives in four different time periods of London find themselves investigating the same murder. Now, I can't remember where... Oh, it's, it's Netflix. Um, it is... Um, six episodes sorry no eight episodes and great cast um, Amaka Afor uh, Kyle Soller uh, Shira Haas um, uh, Stephen Graham probably the you know the, the best known uh, of of all of the actors in it um, it involves time travel um, because you, you travel between these worlds. You're constantly traveling between these these times, not worlds, these times. Um, and I'm sure some people loved it and found it really engaging and original and um, absorbing. Um, and those people gave it 7.3 on IMDb. For me, I just couldn't get to the end of it. Um, a damning indictment I got about 20 minutes into the last episode and I just thought I just don't fucking care and for me it was just it was the constant switching between the time zones that I just felt like um, just as I was getting in, in, engaged and embedded with, with one set of people and one timeline boom switched out of it over to another oh right okay yeah no, yeah, all right, and then I don't, I don't know but for I mean I'm wrong clearly because it's like nearly seven and a half on IMDb. I just couldn't I couldn't get to the end of it and it it never really truly grabbed me, and I found it a bit of a slog. So you know, must have been me. Next up, Brawn: The Impossible Formula One Story. This is on Disney. The remarkable story of in t how in 2009, competing in the most expensive and technological advanced uh, racing series on earth, the impossible happened. Stars Ross Braun, Jensen Buttle, Button, Rubens Barrichello, and it is presented by um, Keanu Reeves, a big F1 fan. And it's four episodes, and I absolutely fucking loved it. It gets 8.5 on IMDb. Absolutely brilliant. If you know the story of Braun, then you'll want to watch it. If you don't know the story of Braun, then you should fucking watch it if you like sport or anything like that, or you like underdog stories. I mean, this is one of the ultimate underdog stories. It really is. It's about a racing team that were bought for a pound that had basically nothing left. People worked for free, and they managed to get a car 
into F1 first season ever and smashed it and no one liked it none of the established um, F1 teams liked it and um, it's a great story and also this documentary proves one very very true thing and that is that the good die young Bernie Eccleston is 93 what a cunt genuinely this is the man who said he'd take a bullet for Putin I mean I wish he'd just take a bullet but you know I'm not choosy you've never seen somebody sit and like be a cunt like this man does it, it's just amazing it's like he he makes absolutely it's literally like he knows he's a cunt and he knows he can't cover it up because he's such a cunt so he may as well just let it out it's yeah but anyway it's a great program and um uh, and yeah you gathered what uh, i think of <laughs> bernie eccleston um next up murderville this is on netflix it's been on there a while well 2022 um uh 33 minutes per episode um, six episodes in total I think and a Christmas special stars Will Arnett eccentric 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 detective Terry Seattle teams up with clueless celebrity guest stars to investigate a series of murders in this improvisational crime comedy it's fucking brilliant Abs there's so many so many laughs in this it's great um, and basically the stars have no idea what's going on at any point anything could happen they 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 haven't got a script or anything um they just have to react and they have to figure out who committed the murder funnily enough there's a murder in every episode and by the end of the episode they have to figure out who it was whilst they you know because they're basically going to be you know a detective for a day one of them is sharon stone for fuck's sake I mean, one's Conan O'Brien, one's Marshawn Lynch, right? The um, American footballer. He is he is fucking amazing in it. He's absolutely he's probably my favourite of the lot. He's absolutely brilliant, and there is just just fucking so many laughs. It's brilliantly done. It really is. But also check out the Christmas special, um, and in it there's there's two actors who um who are both um uh, yeah they're both uh, you know basically same scenario they've got no idea what's going on but santa's been killed and the two of them have got to fucking um figure it out and um i'm desperately trying to think who the who they fucking are i wish i could i, I know who they are but anyway he stood there and he's going right. I need the two of you to, uh, I need the two of you to interrogate this guy. And he said, right, good cop, bad cop. Right now, you, 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 bad cop, you good cop. Right now, your robot cop. Right, um, and now your robot cop only speaks in uh, strange robot noises. Then he says to the woman, right, you um, keep interrogating her. Right, your working class British cop. <laughs> She's like, right, you fatting idiot. What are you fatting doing? <laughs> And then he, the killer for me just turns to one of me and goes, Rick Astley cop. <laughs> and it's, it's just a thicker. So, uh, did you do the murder? Did you do? <laughs> it's just fucking. Anyway, 
I'm getting carried away. Mental, Murderville. Some of you will think, that sounds like a right laugh. And some of you will think, Howard, you're embarrassing yourself. Well, fuck you. Anyway, next up, A Murder at the End of the World. On Hulu and FX and wherever you can find it. This is the latest um, from Brit Marling. She's a creator and she is one of the stars. And um, some of you may know her from the really head trip uh, Netflix two series um, that was called, pauses, The OA, which was mental, if any of you remember that, The OA on uh, Netflix. Yeah, absolutely mad. Well, anyway, this is um, Murder at the End of the World. She, uh, again, is creator and star. She's a a phenomenal, phenomenal talent because the OA was absolutely batshit crazy. It really was. Um, So Murder at the End of the World... There is also um, a really, really good performance in this. Um, Well, by the whole cast, everybody is really good in it. Um, And for some reason, my internet connection has absolutely got a hump with me. Um, Yeah, so anyway, um, it stars Britt Marling, obviously. She fucking wrote it. Um, But it's in total eight episodes... Um, we've also got the absolutely fucking awesome um, Clive Owen, who I've loved ever since he was Chancer. So, yeah, seven episodes. Joan Chen is also in it, Clive Owen, um, a load of other people, and basically Emma Corrin is the, is the lead. Um, she is... Uh, she's a bit of a detective, basically. Um, so... Let me explain the let me explain the uh, logline for you. Uh, Darby Hart, a Gen Z amateur sleuth, attempts to solve a murder at a secluded retreat. Um, it starts really coolly. She's really good um, with tech, and she's a bit of a private sleuth. And uh, she gets sent a holographic invite to just about the most. It's a it's a sort of he's basically he's basically Mark Zuckerberg. Elon Musk, uh, Bill Gates, and uh, all rolled into one. And he's this, like, big, amazing tech man, and he sends this holographic invite for her to come and spend a week at his retreat out in the middle of fucking nowhere, you know, in, like, Antarctica or wherever. And she goes, yeah, all right, and goes over there, and uh, as soon as she arrives, someone that she knows is also there. He's murdered. Uh, not giving anything away. This is all pretty much first episode, and then it's right. Let's find out what the fuck's going on. Um, and it's so it's a who done it. Um, a lot of technology involved. So there's it's 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 kind of um, a bit sort of like oh AI, you know. It, it 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 you get that feeling that it's got more to say than just being a TV drama, um, which that's because it 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 does. Um, but I really enjoyed it. It's it, it doesn't it didn't really deliver as as an, an impactful as an impactful ending as I was expecting. But I had rumbled a major part of what was going on early doors, 
and um, I think that you know unfortunately that kind of spoiled it for me um, I just realised it at a certain point but um, yeah I, I mean again it's brilliantly constructed and I really enjoyed it I really enjoyed it so if you can find it if you've got one of the, those weird old channels then um, A Murder at the End of the World I can thoroughly recommend oh there you go I recommended it oops so on Netflix, 8 out of 10. Don't know why it took me to, so long to watch it. Probably the title, Don't Fuck With Cats. And I just thought, that's all I ever saw. And I just thought, oh, yeah, whatever. Hunting an internet killer. And I thought, that's right, so there's some sort of cat murderer. A group of online justice seekers tracked down a guy who posted a video of himself killing kittens. Well, yeah, that is what happens. This is three episodes. Um... And this has a score on IMDb of 8 out of 10. It is about real people who caught a real guy who really was killing cats. And then he graduated to people. Because that's how they get started, isn't it? This is fucking real. This all happened. This is a documentary. And it... it, it absolutely did my brain in it really did um it's fucking excellent don't fuck with cats it's an 18 certificate it's three hours and seven minutes three over an hour long episodes well only just and i would set yourself aside three hours and watch the whole thing in one sitting um it is it is absolutely unbelievable um, this all happened in the States, believe it or not. A journalist for The Sun ends up meeting with this guy in a pub in London years before he graduates to killing a human being. Um, and then there's a whole other side of this that is... Yeah, honestly, truth is stranger than fiction, people. Don't fuck with cats. Hunting an internet killer, fucking get on it. Wow. Next is Des. Now, um, I don't know why, but years and years ago, when the book Killing for Company came out, I bought it. I don't know why. I've never had a fascination with serial killers. I don't watch true crime or any of that. Bearing in mind, this is fucking years ago. Um... But I, I, for some reason, I, it was the story of Dennis Nielsen, a man who killed a lot of men. And um, I got the book Killing for Company, and I read it. And a friend of mine, when they first moved to London, was only one street away from the house that he was, where he was arrested. And very early doors... They've, they arrest him and they've got him travelling in the car with them and this human remains at the house and they said how many bodies are we going to find is it just the one or is it two or three and he says um, about 15 I think yeah about that and uh, yeah so Playing Des is um, uh, 
David Tennant and it's called Des because Dennis Nielsen wants to be referred to as Des by everybody and it's absolutely fascinating it's a brilliant brilliant performance into and it's just a journey through the mind of an absolute fucking maniac but at times he is he is so brilliantly analytical about who he is and what he is that you're almost admire is a strong word and and the wrong word but you're almost in awe of his ability to to really really know who he is and 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 just deal with it and or, or, or somehow like know who he is know what he is but not know how he ended up there and and not know why he's like that but yeah he i don't know he's 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 incredibly analytical about himself but he's also objective at the same time about what he is and who he is it's very i i i absolutely i absolutely loved it did i did i love it is this the kind of thing you love I don't think it is, but it was deeply, deeply fascinating. And the journey that the um, that the the policemen all working on the case that go through as well, and what they have to see and deal with is horrible. And the book Killing for Company that I read that I read was by Brian Masters, and um, uh, he is played by Jason Watkins very well. Daniel Maines plays DCI Peter J, who's the man who did the um, the well the the large part of work of um, uh, on the case and yeah, absolutely fucking brilliant. Um, if you think that you could watch that kind of thing, then yeah, it's it's brilliant and um, David Tennant is fucking amazing. Next up. Netflix, Harlan Corbin's Fool Me Once. Couldn't be more different, could it, from Harlan Corbin's book. And let's face it, he writes page turners. And that's it. Starring Michelle Keegan, Adil Akhtar and Richard Armitage. Um, widowed mum, Maya, is disturbed by an image of her late husband captured on a toddler's nanny cam. Weird. Is he alive? Is he dead? Joanna Lumley pay, plays her plays the mother of the deceased man who is Michelle Keegan. She's the wife, still alive. Her husband has died. Uh, Joanna Lumley is mum. She is pretty... Oh, fucking annoying in this, got to say. Um, it's classic Harbin Cor uh, Harlan Corbin, if you've um, uh, if you've seen any of his stuff. It's a page-turning. He writes page-turners, and the, the dramas, the TV dramas, are they're bingers. I got through it in about two or three days. Um, full of ups and downs, twists and turns. You've got to watch the next episode. What the fuck's going on? Oh, hang on. Is it them? Is it her? What's he got to do with it? Um, oh, I think I know what it is. Oh, that's that. Oh, no, that's not it. Oh, oh, I bet he's the long lost brother. Oh, no, no, he isn't. Oh, right. But what about? Oh, he's dead. Oh, fucking hell. Right. It's not him then. Uh, oh, what's going on? Yeah, it's just really good stuff. Um, really well written, really well directed, really well played. Uh, and yeah, you know, it's just 
it's Harlan Corbin. Fool me once. If you want page-turning TV, if you want bingeable programmes, that is definitely one of them. I really enjoyed it. And Michelle Keegan was superb in it as well as the lead. Next up, on Amazon, at number one at the moment, season two of Reacher. Um, and, yeah, if you saw season one, I did. I really enjoyed it. Season two? Yeah, really enjoyed that too. Why? Well, the key is because the guy who plays Reacher is the is just fucking brilliant casting. The reason why the Jack Reacher movies don't work is Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise cannot play Jack Reacher because the character of Jack Reacher is a massive fucker. He's physically imposing. That is where his personality comes from. That's why he gets away with saying some of the shit that he says. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's... Um, so Alan, Alan Richson, who plays him, and at one point, he's got a guy that he wants to get some information out of, and he just goes, look, to be honest with you, normally... I would use really sophisticated torture tactics to get out of you what I want to get out of you. But um, because of the time scale involved, I, I can't do any of that. So I'm just going to shoot you in body parts until you tell me what you've got to tell me. And if you don't, final body part will be your head. Okay? Right, here we go. So, and, and, and yeah, it's just like, it's, just, it's, it's almost comical. And, and that, I mean, hopefully that it's not just me that thinks that's quite comical uh, or I'm just some sort of weird dead inside bastard. But um, uh, it, and and also his team are in this and there's some really cool people. Maria Stern as uh, Neely is absolutely brilliant. Um, Oscar Finlay as Malcolm Goodwin. Sorry, Malcolm Goodwin is oh, fucking ill. Yeah, whatever. It's Maria Stern, Malcolm Goodwin. Uh, Willa Fitzgerald is really good in this. And... Sarinda Swan, I mean, you know, I've got a place for her in my heart. And um, Sean Sipos um, is really good in this. I didn't think he would be. And also, Robert Patrick's in it, okay? Now, who doesn't love a bit of Robert Patrick? Yeah? T2? The T1000? Fucking yeah. Come on, bring it on. And there's a bit... It's great. There's a bit in, the, in, the, there's a bit in this um, series where... Because uh, Robert Patrick Patrick is the villain in this, and there and he's he's on the phone, and it's this guy reporting. And he goes and um, and there's also another woman involved, Sarah Connor. Do you know anything about her? And he just goes, never heard of her. <laughs> <coughs> so yeah, I love I love little bits like that, you know. And it's just it's got it has got a humour to it. It's incredibly violent at times. It really is, as you can probably gather from the previous bit of dialogue I mentioned, but which I didn't quote word for word, but, you know, don't kill me for that. Uh, but, yeah, really cool. Really cool Reacher. Next up, I mean, if you need telling that Robert McElhenney and um, Ryan Reynolds bought the football club Wrexham a few years ago, and that they're doing a documentary on it, then you have been living in a cave. Um, docuseries chronicling the purchase and stewardship of Wrexham AFC, one of professional football's oldest clubs, by two Hollywood actors, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McKelney. Season two um, is very good. Some episodes are 20 minutes long. Some episodes are 50 minutes long. There is 15, I think, episodes in total. Let me just check on that. Um, and it is... 
it's superb. Yeah, it is 15 episodes. Um, it's superb. It really is. Uh, the biggest downfall is, uh, for me, occasionally, um, it, it's it's quite emotive at times. Um, you know, Wrexham is an incredibly depressed shithole, frankly, played there just after COVID. Um, so I speak from experience. The fact that, the football club being owned by these guys is being is is regenerating that city and turning it into they they're making money from tourism like nobody in Wrexham I mean basically Wrexham has never done tourism never done it ever but now it is and it's insane and the journey of the football club is what's doing it and as much as it is a documentary about a football club it is also the documentary about a community and the effect that this club is having on the community, but also the lives of the players. One of the players doesn't play for six months. His girlfriend has a, a, a has got a fucking brain tumor, that, and that like happens out of nowhere. I mean, it, it's it, there really is amazing storylines on and off the pitch. It's brilliantly done. It's brilliantly shot. It's just it's full of stories. It is. It is. It is absolutely top-notch, watchable TV about real people doing real stuff and a real city being revived. And that is admirable. My only, only um, slight criticism or bugbear with it is the overuse of... Um, of, um, of... How can I say... Uh, uh, sentimental music. Well, look, I, there's nothing wrong with being sentimental. There's a lot of sentiment in this series. There's a and there's a lot of emotional moments, but the Hollywoodizing of them winds me up a little bit. You just kind of feel like, yeah, this is from and you know made for American TV with American money. Here's some really really breathy, needless music. It's like you're seeing you're seeing really emotional scenes. Um, and that could be anything from people watching a match to someone getting the all clear in hospital to somebody losing a losing somebody close to them, and these are all big emotional scenes. But you don't need the fucking music. You really, really don't need the hammy music. But anyway. Uh, welcome to Wrexham, season two. Watch season one, loved it. Watch season two, loved it. Next up, um, I think this is on Netflix, The Puppet Master Hunting the Ultimate Con Man. This starts with a couple of kids saying, right, so she could be watching this, right? Yeah? So we, 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 we could, we could, could we do a piece to camera? And they're talking about their mum who was conned by a con man and they haven't seen her for many years and the documentary tells the story of how they are not the only people who this con man has um, ripped off over the years so we go back then we go forward to what they went through and then we come up to the present day and believe you and me the present day is probably the most amazing of all of it. It it really is. It's um, and this is not just a normal con man. This is a guy who is fucking brilliant at what he does. Um, and enjoys 
destroying people. I mean, one woman lost 10 years of her life because of him. I mean, it's mad. It really is. Um, it's, uh, it's three episodes. It's two hours and seven minutes long. And it is fucking brilliant. I really... I'm not going to say I enjoyed it. I'm not going to say I enjoyed it. Because I didn't. But it is excellent. I've been telling you about a lot of TV series that um, I didn't enjoy, haven't I? Um, well, finally, um, it's another documentary. And this one, just... I don't know why I even watched it. Muscles and Mayhem, an unauthorised story of American gladiators. Now, bear in mind, never seen American gladiators. So didn't know who any of these characters were. Um, it's on Netflix and it is um, six episodes, I believe. And I've got to say, I've got, I just, yeah, I really enjoyed it. There's some real characters in there um, and it's called muscles and mayhem and wow yeah a lot of muscles a lot of mayhem tells the story of one of the biggest tv shows in the world um you know if you're a, if you're a, a, of my age then you remember this very well yeah you you remember this at the time um it's five episodes actually and um well you don't remember this at the time because you don't remember american gladiators but we remember obviously we had uk gladiators but this is the story of how it all came about and um how they started out you know doing this in in a barn basically um with people shipped in to watch it and cardboard cutouts to try and make a pilot to try and get the tv show to work and and, and you know what it ended up doing and what it ended up being there's some very very um funny bits in it one of the gladiators is great he's like um they're talking about steroids and he's and he goes give me an r give me an o give me an i give me a d give me an s what's that spell gladiator <laughs> And he's like, don't put that bit in. Well, they did, obviously. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it is, it's a bit like um, a load of people being signed up to be in a band. And they are the band and they're the thing. And then they find out that there's not a lot of money in it and they're getting fucking used. And what the fuck? And it's, yeah, really, really, well, a typical tale of the entertainment industry fucking people over but it's really worth a watch full of you know uh, great characters and um yeah really enjoyed it really enjoyed it that's a happy note to end on isn't it that's more like it not a load of programs that aren't enjoyable but watchable all the same i mean well yeah and when i say not enjoyable i'm saying i can't say that i enjoy it because you know you can't enjoy or can you can you enjoy a program about dennis nielsen when well, i bought the fucking book didn't i and i really enjoyed um david tennant's performance of dennis nielsen there we go let's not end it on dennis let's end it on oh i did say i was going to review brand new cherry flavor and then i realized yeah I did that on the last movie bollocks what a great series that is and if you want to hear what paul waller thinks of it uh, then you're going to have to sign up to his Patreon or mine. Make it mine, will you? Make it mine. Anyway, you've got to the end 
Well done. Thank you so much. I can't believe it's taken so long. If you thought it was long, just imagine being me and having to actually fucking do it. Yeah? I didn't know it was going to be this fucking long. Jesus. Anyway, <laughs> congratulations. You got to the end. You win a prize. And that is, go and watch some of the stuff. Until next time. See ya. <laughs>